My name's Jack, commonly referred to as the other elder. Um, so I'm glad to be with you guys this morning. If you've never been here before, you have no idea why I just said that. So ignore me. Now start listening to me. So, um, hey, I want to say before I get started, a, a special word of thanks to some people in our church. Um, every Sunday morning, there are groups of people who get here um, absurdly er- early to make sure this place is ready for us to come and worship and make sure songs are put together the right way and sound is done right and you know a lot of times that nobody knows what it takes to make that happen so I want to publicly express our appreciation for those who come and set up and those who greet and uh, really also want to say a special word of thanks to those who are on um, who are involved in the musical side of worship Um, it's real easy to have a group of people who just want to get together and make sure the notes come out right and that nothing is flat and that music instruments are in tune um, and we sing all the right words. Um, It's another thing to have a group of people whose hearts and desires that we together would exalt Jesus and sing together words that that pull us towards him. So I want to say a special thanks to, to Ben and for those who help lead us in the musical aspect of our worship. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. I feel like it's fitting on a morning we're talking about gifts to express that appreciation. This morning we will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, if you have an app, if you have something that has the scripture on it, I'd like to ask you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, uh, feel free to look under the chair in front of you. There should be one there. If you don't own one, that's our gift to you. Keep it. Um, And if you do own one, just uh, leave it for next week. Um, There's no shame in going to the table of contents if you don't know what 1 Corinthians is. It's all good. Nobody will look down on it. If they do, just tell me, and we'll take care of it after the service. Um, Yeah, we've been in this series on doctrine for a couple months now, and this is... This is a little bit outside, you've heard Fudd and I say this, this is a little bit outside of our normal route, kind of our normal comfort zone. Uh, y'all know we've been in the book of Matthew for about 25 years now, and uh, our church is only five years old, so figure out how that's happened. But uh, we've been in Matthew for a while, and that's where, um, I think by conviction and training, where Fudd and I just kind of fall. We, we want to just see what God says, and we want to just work through a book and see how God speaks and works through that. Um, this series has been a little different. There's been some times we haven't had passages where we're able to just work through the passage from beginning to end, and that be what happens uh, so that we can discuss the doctrine. Uh, this morning, I'm really thankful. I believe that this passage in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11, is one of those passages where we can discuss a doctrine and cover it um, in a way that I think is beneficial and helpful to us, but not have to go to multiple texts or spend a long time exegeting Grudem um, and more time exegeting the Scriptures. So I'm thankful for that this morning. I'm encouraged. Now, we are going to be talking about spiritual gifts. So that means some people, as soon as you hear that, they're like, oh, great, a sermon on speaking in tongues. Um, we'll, we'll discuss that, but that's not going to be the main topic of what we're going to be going at this morning. Um, Gifts is one of those things which is um, sometimes mysterious, sometimes confusing, 
sometimes for some people laughable. There's lots of things that go in and it's one of those topics where when people hear you're preaching about, they're like, oh really, what are you going to say? Um, and so I hope this morning that we can uh, dive into the scriptures together and find out um, what the Lord says about gifts. Um, this doctrine is a little bit What's this? This doctrine, the one last week, the doctrine on worship, which I really appreciate what Ben did there, and the doctrine on prayer, are a little bit different than some of the other doctrines in that I, they're a little more concrete. And what I mean by that is they are doctrines in which we, in a sense, actively participate. And I understand that when we talk about justification, we are justified, and it, it is a passive thing. We receive justification, we place faith, but some of the doctrines are more... more um, theoretical, not in the sense that they're not true, but we just kind of learn things about God. So we learn about the doctrine of the Son, the doctrine of the Spirit, the doctrine of the atonement. And the, the, the tendency for some people is when we learn these deep theological truths to say, those are, the, those are just the truths, those are the theoretical stuff, but now we get to the practical stuff. Now, you know, okay, that's good and all to learn these things about God. But now prayer, that's, that's practical. Or worship, that's practical. Or spiritual gifts, that's practical. And what I want to submit to you this morning before we get started is to let's not have those categories because I don't think they're helpful. And here's why. The greater our view of God, who he is, what he's done, the greater our exaltation of him, our greater our rejoicing in him, the greater our worship of him, the greater our understanding of the gospel of him. There is nothing more practical than that. There is nothing more practical than having a higher and higher and higher view of God. A.W. Tozer said, what comes to mind when we think of God is the most important thing about us. And so this morning, as we engage again on one of the doctrines that may be a little more of, hey, we participate in this more than some of the ones that may be a little more, seem a little out there, don't say, okay, now we get to the practical stuff, because if you've got that, you've missed it. The goal of doctrine is not to fill our heads so that we can be proud of our knowledge or just say, okay, I know these things, but now let me get to the stuff that's applied. An increased overwhelmed knowledge of God is the ultimate application. We were created by God for God. So let's, don't, let's make sure we don't go down that route this morning. Um, as we start to think about gifts, we need to understand what we mean by gifts. Um, we've been referencing uh, Grudem Systematic Theology Throughout the, entire, uh, throughout the entire series. And so I think we'll just go ahead, we'll use Grudem's definition to kind of dive in a little bit. Grudem defines spiritual gifts as any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. So it's an, uh, an ability empowered by the Spirit used in the ministry of the church. Now, I will admit that definition is somewhat broad. It's not very specific, but I think that's good for us because this morning what we're not going to do is just take a list of these are the gifts, here's what they mean, now go do them. We're not going to spend time doing that this morning per se, but what we want to do is we want to understand these abilities. What does that look like? Where do they come from? Who has them? How are they employed in the church and really 
how do I go about doing what God has called me to do? So instead of just taking the list and say, okay, here's what this means, 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 we want to dig even deeper to the root of them. Let's go down even further. Let's, let's, let's get down to the bottom. And as we do, everything else will kind of envelop before us, Lord willing. So to do that, we are uh, desperately in need of the Spirit. So let's pray and uh, we'll dive in. Father, we are grateful and thankful for another morning where we can gather as the body of Christ to sit under your word. In spirit, we are in need of you to continually open our eyes to the beauty of Jesus, the profound nature of the gospel, and the marvelous grace which has been poured out on us lavishly. So would you now come open our eyes, settle our hearts, and direct our feet that we might think, live, and do the things you've called us to do. We love you, and we ask this in the name of Christ for his glory alone. Amen. So this morning, we will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me give you a little background on 1 Corinthians before we read the text, just in case some of you aren't familiar with this book. Um, The church at Corinth, to which this letter was written, was a church that had some major issues. Um, They didn't have a major issue. They had multiple issues. I mean, they were were schizophrenic in just all the craziness that was going on. I mean, if you want a picture of an unhealthy church, Corinth is kind of the, the poster child. But the amazing thing is Paul starts out and he says, to the saints. He doesn't, he doesn't say, you bunch of ragtag people who probably aren't even saved. To those who are in Christ, I'm writing this to you. And he writes because they had written him. They had written a letter to him. They had seen crazy things going on. There was sin in the church. There was misuse of spiritual gifts. There was confusion about things. There was wrong taking of the Lord's Supper. There was so much that's going on that it seems they were writing to Paul and say, Paul, could you speak into this? Could you help clear this up for us? We need to know what's right, what's wrong. Are we doing this wrong? How do we correct what's happening? And so Paul writes this letter. We have his 1 Corinthians as a response to them. We see that earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians. He says, now, according to the things you've written, he begins to start answering them. So Paul is answering some questions that they've got. One of the questions they have is about spiritual gifts. Um, We see in the book of 1 Corinthians that there is major misuse of the gifts. People are elevating certain gifts above others. People are looking down on people who don't have the same gifts that they have. And what it seems is, though, is that some of them are now saying, because this is so crazy, we just need to ignore this whole spiritual gift thing whatsoever and just, just... Push that aside. Don't worry about that. Let's get on to the main thing. And what Paul does is he answers their question, and he takes three chapters to do it. Chapters 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are all focused on the idea of spiritual gifts. Now, I said it before um, in the first service, but if the Bible says something in one verse, it's important for us to know and to understand. And I think that the fact that Paul spends three chapters addressing spiritual gifts helps us to understand they probably have a little more importance than what sometimes we will give them. But he also helps us not to put them on such a high level that the gift itself 
is what we're worshiping and what we're seeking. And so Paul really in these chapters really helps bring a balance to those who are wanting to just ignore the gifts and have nothing to do with them and those who are so exalting the gifts that they are everything. Paul helps kind of bring it all back together in the middle and give it a balance so that we can view it rightly and understand What's really going on with the gifts? That's the background. That's where we are when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So I want to read 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11. I'd like to ask you if you would, and if you can, to stand with me um, as we read these verses. We do this a lot here um, just because we recognize these are not man's words, but these are the words of the Lord. And so oftentimes in Scripture, when they would read uh, a passage of the Bible in recognition of God's word, they would stand together to honor it. So 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretations of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You may be seated. So what I want to do this morning is really just pull out five gleanings as we kind of search through this and, and walk through this text and thought about just gleaned a few things from it. Five gleanings on the doctrine of spiritual gifts. First one is this, spiritual gifts are given to those indwelt by the Spirit. Now, Paul starts out, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, okay, brothers, again, an indication here. He knows people are on both sides, but he's drawing them together. Brothers, we are united in Christ. He's addressing Christians. I don't want you to be uninformed. He doesn't want them to see things wrongly. He doesn't want them to misuse them. He wants them to know, here's the truth. Here's what we need to, how we need to think about spiritual gifts. And then he goes back and he starts doing something that at first as I was reading this, it just kind of didn't really make sense to me. I was trying to figure out where Paul was going with this. And he says, you know that when you were pagans or when you were Gentiles or when you were those who weren't following God, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. And his point here is, you were, all of us came out of a sense in which we were idolaters. Now, most of the people in this room who are now following Jesus didn't have a small statue that they bowed down to. Most of us didn't have some kind of small God that we were worshiping. But all of us had our hearts set on and sacrificed for the good of something other than God. We lived for it, we longed for it, and it was what was of utmost importance in our life. And Paul says, remember where you were, that when you were pagans, when you were not following Jesus, you were led astray by idols. But he has a, a word that's thrown in there that, that is somewhat curious, but it's really important because he says, you were led astray to mute idols. Idols that don't speak. 
idols that don't speak to you, idols that don't speak through you. This is something that the Spirit does. And you have to remember, you have to understand that before you were led astray to mute idols, but now you have been brought near to the Spirit of God who speaks. Now, I want to take a, a second And think about this idea of us being in Christ and just kind of pause and step aside. And I think you'll see how this comes back in. Um, In preparation for preaching, Fudd and I both will spend a lot of time reading the text, studying the text. And then we believe that there are men who have been gifted by God to, to search the scriptures and teach the scriptures. And so we'll go to commentaries or we'll go to different things. And man, what, what has God shown them that, that maybe I didn't see in the text? And, oh my goodness, that's amazing. So you'll hear us, you know, every week we've got our, our, our uh, quota of Spurgeon and Calvin quotes that are gonna be, you know, thrown out there. Um, but one of the things I also do um, is I also try to listen to sermons as well because there are some very gifted Bible teachers um, who God has given to the church to equip us. And so sometimes when I'm getting ready to preach, I'll listen to a sermon by another pastor on the same passage and see, man, what are things he saw? What are some things that as he was digging in there that were there? And when I see that, I go, man, that's pretty awesome. That's great. God can use that in the life of remedy to, to encourage them. And so I want to tell you, yesterday uh, I was in the midst of the uh, crazy task of blowing the nine and a half million leaves that were in my yard out to the street so the city of Rock Hill could come by with their vacuum truck and suck them up and get them out of there. And so I was, I was getting ready to do that. My blower's really loud. And so it's a good excuse for me. I just plugged my headphones in and I was going to listen to a sermon. And I remembered uh, the Church of Brook Hills, where David Platt is a pastor, that they're right now teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. I was like, oh, man, that's great. That's awesome. I'll listen, listen, to, uh, listen to David Platt preach through 1 Corinthians 12 and feel how, no, realize how not good I am when I listen to him. But then maybe I can get some cool stuff to tell everybody. And So I'm sitting there. And so I get there, and I download it. And it's not David Platt, but it's a guy by the name of Dr. Jim Shaddix, um, which I'm like, oh, great. That's just as good, too. Shaddix wrote this book on preaching. You know, he was a preaching professor. I was like, oh, here you go. This is going to be good. But I was like, oh, this is, this actually, this is going to be really good. So I start listening to Shaddix open up 1 Corinthians 12. And I got to tell you, it was an amazing sermon. If you are somebody who likes to download sermons and listen to them, if, if after today you want to know a little bit more, you want to dig in deeper, I commend to you the sermon preached by Dr. Shaddix at church at Brook Hills, brookhills.org. Their Cross in the Christian Community series, two sermons he preached, uh, the Cross and Christian Gifts. Um, they are very, very good. Dr. Shaddix is a very gifted expositor. Um, some of what I will say today were just some gleanings from him, some of which it was encouraging because I was like, I was going to write something, I already had it in my notes, put it in there, and he said it, and I was like, yes, I got that one right, so I'm feeling good. But anyway, he used an illustration to talk about the body of Christ, which was so good. I thought, man, I just I have to share that because it helped me see how some of this fits together. And, and I, I listened to it on the podcast, and it was so good. They have a video podcast. I actually went, I wanted to watch it because I wanted to see what he did. Um, so last night, as I was doing my final preparation, I just went to their website, and I, I fast-forwarded to about when it was, and I watched him do this illustration because for me, it just helped things just kind of come together. He walked down to where their baptistry is. It's in the, in the front of their church, um, and the church is pretty large. So they've got video cameras that were following him. So they kind of zoomed in on his hands so you could see what he was doing. But he pointed the baptistry and he pointed out the water. So the water's, you know, the full in this little pool of water. He's like, you know, water's pretty much invisible. Like light bounces off of it. But just picture, it's kind of like the spirit. You, you can't see it. 
So then he took, takes this plastic cup and he says, when you come to Christ, when you have your eyes opened by the Spirit, you see your sin, you see the beauty of Christ, and you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus, we are, according to verse 13, in one spirit we're all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves are free, and we're all made to drink of the Spirit. And he points out that the word baptized is the word immersed, or we are plunged under, plunged into the Spirit. But then also that idea at the end is to be, we're made to drink of the one Spirit, or we are filled by the Spirit. So the idea there is that we as believers, when we are brought to Christ, we are immersed in the Spirit and we are filled by the Spirit. And so he takes this cup and he says, imagine this pool is the Holy Spirit. And he takes the cup and he puts it under the water. And he says, you know, right now this cup is immersed and filled with the water. I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. I get that. Never really thought about that before. That's cool. So then he takes another one. He says, you know what? That's what happens when you come to Christ. And then somebody else comes to Christ and they are immersed and filled. And these two cups are right there in the baptistry. And he says, you know what? What if we were to get a wheelbarrow full of cups to represent every person in this room? And we were to put all those in there. He said, what was invisible has now become visible. Because as we are immersed in the Spirit and filled with the Spirit, we are told in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, that we are, this is the body of Christ. Not just some kind of, in some kind of mystical, kind of cool metaphorical way, but we are the body of Christ here on the earth. Now, why is that important when we talk about spiritual gifts? Because if we are the body of Christ, if we are the physical representation of Jesus here on the earth, in the context of spiritual gifts, we understand that the gifts given by the Spirit are so that we as the body function the way that we should function. You see, the gifts have greater importance than just I can do some cool things or I can be a part of something. If the Spirit has immersed us and filled us and brought us in and made us the body of Christ, He has then gifted us so that that body functions the way that it should function. So that it represents Jesus the way that it should represent Jesus. So it displays Jesus the way it should display Jesus. So it serves the world the way Jesus would serve the world. All of the gifts that are given are for the body. And those who are believers then are filled with the Spirit. And those gifts are important because it's by those gifts and through those gifts we begin to express this body of Christ together. Well, why then does Paul, if, he, if that's the case, why then does Paul give verse 3, which is somewhat a little bit confusing? Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Well, now, it's got to be more than just saying those words. Because in essence, when Paul wrote that, he was in essence speaking those words or, or 
mouthing those words. So it, it can't just be that Paul says that nobody can stand up and say Jesus is accursed. Then anybody who read this out loud would never be speaking by the Spirit. That, I don't think that's it. But I think what we get to here is the, the intentionality behind it. And especially in the context of gifts, when we think about those who are now concerned that these gifts are, are leading people astray and it's the gifts that's causing problems, Paul brings us back and says these gifts that are by the Spirit, those who are filled with the Spirit are never going to say something like Jesus is accursed. And the only way you're really going to exalt and glorify Jesus is through the Spirit. How do we know that? Well, Jesus himself said that in John 16. Listen to what Jesus said. John 16, 13 and 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Paul trusts the Holy Spirit. Paul believes that the Spirit has immersed us and has filled us and that genuine believers, all believers, have been immersed in the Spirit and filled by the Spirit. And if the Spirit then gives gifts, Paul says, I know people have messed this up, but come on, this is the Spirit we're talking about here. The Spirit has not been mistaken. And so though people have messed it up, don't go to the error of saying, no, we just need to ignore them because the Spirit's gonna bring things right. And don't go to the error of misusing them because it's the Spirit that has given these things because you're following Jesus. So he gets down to the intentionality of what's going on there. Don't be afraid of the gifts, but seek to exercise them in the right way. Paul also then Second thing I think we glean from this passage is that Paul says, Paul brings out there's no place for pride or envy with the gifts. There's no place for pride or envy. Notice verse four, actually verses four through six. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities But it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Uh, Did you notice the repetition there? The word variety and same shows up three times. Very Trinitarian. Spirit, Son, Father. Right there. That's not by accident. Paul's not just heaping things up. He's not, not like he figured he got it wrong and it was unclear the second time. He is intentionally showing us there are varieties, but there is one There are varieties. There's lots of things going on here, but the focus is not on the things that are going on. The focus is on Jesus. All of it is pointing to the gospel. All of it is pointing back to the Lord. All of it is pointing back to Him. And because of that, because there's a variety, nobody could then say, well, you know what? Mine's better. I got the best one. You know, you suckers are dead last because your spirit is not good as mine. Because the point of the gifts is not to exalt us. The point of any and every gift is to exalt Jesus. And the wonderful beauty of it all is that not only does the Spirit save all kinds of various people from various backgrounds, various walks of life, He then brings us all together and in unity shows the glory of Christ and then gives us various gifts. And in this 
great hegemony of all these so many different things, there's still a unity and a common purpose and the glory of the God is seen even in that. And so the focus Paul does is he says, hey, before we even talk about the actual gifts, just remember there's no room for anybody to be prideful about what they've got because there's so many of them and the point of them is to point back to Jesus. But one of the other things that we find in looking at this is that so many times we get caught up in the idea of gift. So it's like, I've got this gift. And so, I mean, I think about, man, that somebody gives you something. You, you want to show it. Look what I got. Look what I got. Isn't this awesome? And it could even be not, not so much a prideful thing, but it's really like, I like this. Look what I got. Look what I got. And look what Paul does. He says, there's a variety of gifts with the same spirit. And he says there are varieties of service and there are varieties of activities. And Paul's not saying, okay, there's gifts and then these are other things. He's creating a parallel here. He wants us to see the connection. And so this variety, sometimes what we need to understand is that it's not just, man, look at the gift I've got. We've been given service. We've been given things to do. Those are gifts as well as talents and abilities. All of these are gifts from the Lord. And so we gotta be careful that we don't get hung up on, oh, I received this. Maybe the Lord has given you service. We'll talk about that more in just a little bit. But when we think about gifts, sometimes it can cause us to be prideful. And, and, and Paul, by doing these things, kind of brings it down, helps us not be prideful about it and really not even be envious of others. Because the fact of the matter is, some of the gifts are a little more prominent. Some of them draw a little more attention. Some of them cause people to be out in front and noticed a little bit more. And some of the gifts cause people to be in the background a little bit. Some of them are extraordinary. Some of them awe you and some of them you never really know about. And it can be easy for those who have gifts who aren't prominent to become envious of those who have the gifts that are prominent. And it can be easy for those who have gifts that are prominent to become prideful over those who don't have gifts that are prominent. And what Paul does is by, by leveling the playing field here is helps us see your gifts, whether prominent or not prominent, whether flashy or dull, are all meant to point you and others to the one who has given them. So there's a variety of gifts and there's no reason for you to be prideful. Which leads right into the third point. Gifts are for each other and not for ourselves. Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, I, I want to point out, even though it's not in this, this point here, but Paul writes, to each. The idea here is that we understand. Paul just kind of takes it for granted, but he's also letting us know. To each believer Gifts are given. So, side note, if you are in Christ, you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ, you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. And that gift is not for yourself, because why? What does he say in verse 7? To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. This gift that you and I have been given, whatever it might be, was given by the Spirit for the common good. 
Matthew Henry writes, Gifts are bestowed for the advantage and salvation of others. What that means is that if the Holy Spirit has saved you and brought you to this church, the gifts that that He has given you are necessary for this church. They're necessary. They're not optional. Because when the Spirit saved you and gifted you and brought you to this place, can I tell you something? We desperately need you. And you know what? You desperately need us. That's the way that the Spirit has so worked. He has gifted each of us and we are dependent on each other. And he says the way that the body will express itself fully and rightfully is that these people will come together and I will give them what they need in order to rightfully express the body of Christ. You know, it always kind of has been, but I think really a lot more today. I'll go, I'll go to church. Oh, man, I committed I would do that. Okay, well, I wasn't going to go to church, but I said I would go and serve at this thing, so I'll go do that. But I don't have anything I'm responsible for this morning, so maybe I'll just stay home. It's been a rough week. Or, you know, or, you know I'll go when I've got this, or there's something special. And what ends up happening is people just kind of say, well, I'll go when there's something for me, or I'll go when I have to do something. But being part of the church is not a high priority. If this is the way in Scripture, not what I just said, but if, if this is the way, if this scripturally Paul is saying that each is being given a gift for the common good, how selfish and sinful of us if we would say, I don't really think I'm going to go. I don't really think I'm going to be involved. I think I'll just be a token member. If the Spirit has saved us, He has gifted you, and we need you. And at the same time, you need us. We're in this together. We are in a world full of sin. We are in a world full of enmity against God. And we are the light of the world. And we need each other. We are designed to be dependent upon each other. So let this be an encouragement and let this push you towards Jesus. Let this push you towards saying, church isn't something I do. Church isn't something I come to when I have the right time. Let this say, if I've been immersed and filled by the Spirit, I've been gifted and I need those people. I need to be with them. I need to be filled by them, served by them, be around them, and I need to do that for them. It's not merely something that is optional for the follower of Christ fourth thing we see in this passage is this many gifts are needed in the church and we've already looked at verses four through six where he talks about varieties numbers and then now what we do is we get down to this this list of some different verses Um, from this list uh, then there's also a list in Romans 12. There's another list at the end of this chapter, 1 Peter 4.11, Ephesians 4, multiple places throughout the New Testament where you'll find a uh, list of spiritual gifts. Um, 
Fudd and I were, were talking about this, praying through this. We both are uh, in, a, in agreement on this, kind of where we stand. Um, we don't believe that these lists are necessarily exhaustive. So basically saying, if you're going to have a spiritual gift, you've got to find it in one of these lists. Anyway, if it's not in this list, it's not a spiritual gift. Um, the lists are not the same. The lists are, they, they, they're different. They kind of speak to different things. Uh, so 1 Peter 4.11 gives us a good kind of categories. We have gifts of speaking, gifts of serving, helps us think through that. Um, and it, it would seem that as the Spirit draws so many different people and so many different backgrounds and the glory of it seen through that, we would also say, man, what a glorious manifestation of the Spirit as these gifts are given in so many different ways, in so many different times, not limited to these small lists. And in every time, it seems as though Paul or Peter, whoever's writing, are just kind of throwing out there the idea of spiritual gifts, not in a haphazard way, but even here, Paul's focus, if you look at these verses in 8 through 10, he keeps focusing us back on the Spirit. His goal here is not to say, let me give you an exhaustive list of what the, of the gifts are, and each of you is just trying to figure those out. Look at, look at the way he says it. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Another faith by the same Spirit to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Paul's point here is to give us these broad categories, some specific but also categories to say, look, the point is not the gift, the point is the Spirit. And so now don't just take this list and say, okay, what can I check off of what I've got here and go from there. He's telling us there are multiple gifts, there are various gifts, they are wide-ranging. But the point is the Spirit so gives so many various gifts because they're needed within the church. Um, I think what we need to do is take a few minutes and get to the part where some of y'all came to church for is discuss some of these verses, some of these gifts. Some of them are pretty obvious. Um, some of them make, make sense to us. Some of them are more, um, more sensational. Uh, and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. It's just they, they are a little bit kind of outside the realm. We talk about the gift of administration or the gift of hospitality. Um, those don't like blow our doors off. You know, like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's no big deal. You talk about speaking in tongues, people are like, hey, man, tell me what you're going to think about that. You know, um, and so I, 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 um, I don't really go for uh, necessarily calling those the miraculous gifts uh, simply because I believe even those things, whatever the Spirit has wrought in you is a miracle because He's, he's changed you and it's a, it's a working of the Spirit. So there seems to be whatever the gift might be, it is miraculous because the Spirit is working in you. So I don't want to, I feel like sometimes when you say, these are the miraculous gifts, it's like, hey, you just got the run of the mill, you know, whatever leftovers. No, I think they're all right here. Paul's doing the same thing. But I think we need to address some of them. Uh, they're here. They, um, a lot of times, uh, the three that I'll talk about have kind of been made uh, prominent in certain uh, circles, especially in American evangelicalism today. Um, and so when you start talking about these, um, what often are called the miraculous gifts, there's really kind of two camps in the evangelical world. Um, one is called a cessationist, one is called a non-cessationist. So real briefly, I'm not going to get super deep into this because I don't think we need to, um, but I think it's good to make you aware of it. The cessationist group would say that those gifts that are uh, things like tongues, prophecy, miraculous healings, those kind of things, uh, those gifts were given for the time of the apostles, and upon the death of the apostles and the close of the canon, those gifts ceased to 
be existent within the church. Um, I bet you can guess what the non-cessationists believe. Um, they, 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 don't, they don't hold to that. They believe that the gifts um, are gifts that can still be given today to the church as the, dear, as the Spirit deems necessary. Um, so a person who's a non-cessationist wouldn't say that every church has to have every gift or that every church will display those gifts which are out there, um, but that they are still possible. Um, Fudd and I both would uh, consider ourselves in the non-cessationist camp, not cessationist, um, but we would describe, I think we would describe ourselves as um, what Danny Aiken says, open but cautious. And the reason for that is simply there is a lot of misuse of the gifts. Even what was going on in Corinth still goes on today in some places. Um, and so we're, we're not convinced by the arguments that the secessionists cessationist use for saying this, that the gifts have ceased. So um, we, we, don't, we don't agree with the arguments. Um, and so we find ourselves over here in the non-cessationist um, that doesn't mean you have to be a non-cessationist to be a part of the church. Just let you know kind of where we are. Um, but the, the cautious part of that is we want to make sure that if these gifts are exercised, they're exercised in a way that accords with the way the Bible presents them. So the three gifts that we'll look at uh, this morning for kicks and giggles is uh, the gifts of prophecy, the gifts of healing and miracles, and the gifts of tongues. Now, I said that. I, we don't wanna, I don't want to treat it too lightly or, or make too much fun of it, but um, it's just kind of fun to talk about some of these things. So what about prophecy? Um, most of the time, those in the cessationist camp would say, uh, some of them would say prophecy is still around and it's simply preaching. So prophecy is preaching is what they would say. It seems, though, from studying uh, 1 Corinthians, as Paul talks about prophecy, um, it's not preaching. Um, he speaks of, of women prophesying in church, uh, which in other places we know that Paul has listed that um, the women shouldn't be the main teacher in the church. Um, so why would he contradict himself there? Um, and it seems as though it's something that in the midst of the congregation, the Lord um, brings a, for lack of a better term, a revelation to someone. Um, and it is a word for the church and a word for people. Um, one of the things we find also that Paul says is that the subject, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, meaning this. Um, they don't have to say what's been told to them. So times when people jump up in the middle of a church service and start screaming, I've got a word from the Lord, um, kind of maybe goes against what Scripture has said there. Your spirit is subject to you. So if the Lord shows something to you, is you wait for the right time and the right place as to which to, to say this, who it might be. Um, also, when we hear the word prophet, uh, there's the idea a lot of times of the Old Testament prophet. And so we read the Old Testament prophets and we see what they spoke. And so we say, okay, so does that mean what this person says is equal to Scripture? And we're told multiple places that we are, Paul says, don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test every word. So we don't assume that anytime somebody says, well, I have the gift of prophecy, here's what God says, now this is binding on you. The Bible tells us that we're to test it. We're to see if it's right. We're to find out, does it match up with Scripture? Has it been done in a way that is in accordance to the way Scripture lays it out? Does it contradict what the Spirit has already told us in the Word? Does it cause confusion? Does it cause problems? And if so, we are not to hold to it, but at the same time we are to say, God can still interject things. This is not new revelation in the sense that it overtakes Scripture. But this is, this is maybe God speaking into the life of someone. So, uh, for instance, we see a guy named Agabus 
Uh, if you want to have a, a son with an uh, uncommon name, name him Agabus. He was a prophet in the book of Acts. We see him Acts 11, Acts 21. He shows up twice. First time in Acts 11, the Spirit revealed to him that there was about to be a famine. So he told the church. And so what we find is the church started collecting money and food and stuff. They wanted to make sure they took care of people. And then Luke also says this happened during the reign of Caesar or somebody. I can't remember off the top of my head. But he, So he gives us like a historical context. Hey, you, you know, so you're reading this. You know about this famine. Yeah, this guy, the Spirit told this guy it was going to happen. And then also Luke is, I mean, uh, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. The Spirit has told Paul to go to Jerusalem. And so Agabus takes his belt and wraps it around his hands and says, the Spirit has revealed to me that the owner of this belt will be this way when he walks into Jerusalem. So basically, it's a, he was given a sign. You're about to be bound up and put in chains. Um, it seems as though Paul already kind of knew that. Paul had also received a, a revelation that was going to happen to him. But this guy, Agabus here, he's not saying the whole church needs to go do this. The whole church, he's, God has shown something to him. He's let people know they've tested it and they've seen whether it's true or whether or not, whether or not they should follow it. Um, so that's what we'd say about prophecy. Another one he mentions is healings and miracles. Um, I've been in some situations where I felt like the idea of prophecy, it wasn't highly like touted somebody stood up thus saith the lord type thing but where god people spoke to me and i feel like man god really showed you something that i need to be aware of right here um i've seen that i've never been around where i've seen healings and miracles now i'm not gonna lie to you when i was in uh, ethiopia this summer um, i was walking around in the um in a marketplace and there was a a crippled man and i longed actually to have the gift of healing because i wanted it to be um, like when Peter and John said, hey, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. Like I wanted that to happen, and I wanted them to be able to stand up and preach Jesus like they did. But the Spirit, the Spirit didn't tell me to do that. I didn't believe I had the gift of healing, so I didn't reach down and try to pick this dude up. Um, but what I will say this is, is though I've not experienced, I know people who have been around this in not a flashy, sensational way, but they, a lot of times on the outer fringes, of, of the kingdom in, in places that are very dark, in places that are very hostile to the gospel, in places where missionaries are, quite often the Spirit has shown himself to show up in this way. Um, I met some people this summer um, that had stories that literally made the hair on the back of my neck stand up of people getting healed of what we would call incurable diseases. But the point of all of that was is every time it happened, they turned around and they pointed them right to Jesus. They pointed them right to Jesus. As the gospel was going forth, the Spirit was moving in this way, not to draw attention to these people, but to draw attention to Jesus because they were in a place that was openly hostile to Jesus. Hatred towards Christians was there and the Spirit showed the way that he was working in this gift of healing and people began turning to Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that everywhere is going to have that. It doesn't mean every missionary is going to experience that. It doesn't mean that it's going to be everywhere. But I think we've seen this kind of thing happening. And so that's what it is. And then we get to tongues. Um, the gift of tongues, as it's presented in the Bible, seems to be um, in the book of Acts. There's, the, the speaker is speaking in a language unknown to them. In the book of Acts, especially in the day of Pentecost, we know that these were human languages. So these were languages that are existent on the planet. Um, because Jews from all over the world were gathered in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit fell on the apostles. They began speaking in tongues. And the report from these people are, we hear the mighty acts of God proclaimed in our language. 
So it was empowered by the Spirit for them to speak a language they didn't even know. So it's like if I, you know, I don't think this is going to happen, but, you know, I go on a mission trip to France, and all of a sudden I start speaking French. You know, that's kind of the idea there in Acts. But it does seem in, in um, 1 Corinthians 13.1, Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. So there is the chance, and I think we're open to the possibility that it could be speaking in a language that is not a human language. Um, Paul later goes on to write that when you speak in tongues, you're speaking to God, um, not speaking to the church, but it can still be for the edification of the church. Um, one of the things, I think that this is probably the one that probably gets the most sensational element to it, especially in American culture. Um, there are some churches that, I want to be careful, uh, that, that seem to take this to an excess. Um, if you're coming out of that background, I'm not trying to speak derogatory towards that, or maybe you even attend a church now. I'm not trying to speak down against that, so don't don't hear that. But when Paul presents this idea of tongues, he doesn't say nobody should ever speak in tongues. He says, you know, I wish that all of you would speak in tongues, but I wish that even more that you would prophesy. Speaking in tongues is great because it seems in Corinth what they had done is they had elevated the gift of tongues where if you speak in tongues, you're super spiritual. If you speak in tongues, you're part of the in crowd. God loves you. And that's what everybody should be trying to do is everybody should be trying to speak in tongues. And what Paul says is speaking in tongues is great. I do it more than any of the rest of you. It'd be cool if you all did it. But you know what's even more important? What would even be better? What you really should seek? Seek prophecy. Because in a tongue, you're speaking to God. You've got to have somebody interpret, and people are kind of listening in. But when you hear prophecy, God's speaking in you to speak to the church. Remember verse 7, manifestation of the Spirit given to the individual for the good of the body. And so what Paul is saying is, don't elevate this gift that you have that may be between you and God. What the point is, that you would be filled with the Spirit to uplift the body. That the body would do what it is it's supposed to do. So Paul then goes on to say, hey, look. People speak in tongues, that's cool. But he gives some parameters. No more than two or three, each in his turn. And there must be an interpreter present. And so if it is on a grand scale, not more than two or three, not everybody's doing it in their turn, and it's not causing order or focusing people's eyes on Jesus, Paul says, don't do that. Make sure that everybody, notice the reason why there's an interpreter. Because the person who may be speaking in tongues, it's not for them. It's so that everybody, the gifts are given that the church might be encouraged. And so Paul says, there's got to be an interpreter because this is not just an individual thing. This is an entire body thing. Now, neither Fudd nor I have the gift of speaking in tongues. I never have. And uh, to be honest with you, I grew up in Southern Baptist circles, and that's really, you you don't even talk about speaking in tongues most of the time. Um, um, so I, I've never been in a place where I felt like this has been experienced this biblically. Uh, that's not to say it couldn't happen, but, you know, we're, we're not, not that we're aware of. But if it ever were to happen, we would say it must be done biblically, and it must be done in the way that the Scriptures set out. No more than two or three, each in his turn. And there must be somebody with the gift of interpretation. Because Paul goes on to write and says that just as the subject of the, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the spirits, those who have a tongue, their, their spirit is subject to them. It's not uncontrollable. It's not something that can't be held in. So, that's speaking in tongues.
as much as we're going to talk about it today. Last thing I want us to do, and this kind of, kind of collects it all, kind of brings it together. God's sovereignty is the source of gifts, not our ability. And what I mean by that, in verse 11, Paul writes, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So what I mean by that is not that abilities we have aren't gifts. So that means if you're, you're, you can, you can, uh, you're good at administrating, administrating or you're good at hospitality or you're good at serving or you're good at any of the other things we might list out. I'm not saying that that ability is not a gift. What I'm trying to help us see with this statement is that we are gifted by God as he saw fit. He didn't look down at us and say, man, you know what? you are really good at organizing things and that church needs some organized people. So I think I'm just going to save you so that I can take your organizing and put it over here. God works even sovereignly through unbelievers to work in them according to his purposes. And what we find is that those who are saved that may have a natural bent towards something, we see God even working sovereignly in them before they're saved to produce this amazing gift in them to be used in the church. The other thing that it guards against is sometimes we won't give credit to what God has done in our lives because we're just like, oh, that's just the way that I am. My question is, why are you that way? Why are you designed that way? Why do you think that way? Why do you live that way? Why do you treat people that way? Why is it? Well, that's just my personality. Don't disregard the gift as something that's just like, well, that's just the way I am. No, that's just it. No, recognize what the Spirit has done in your life. It helps you fight against any type of pride, any type of false humility, any type of envy, because we realize the Spirit loves us. The Spirit has drawn us to Jesus. The Spirit has brought us together as a body, and He gifted us as He sees fit for what we need. Again, we need you. You need us. I remember when I was in uh, seminary, I was uh, starting to preach more and was told by a few people that they believed I had a gift of teaching or a gift of preaching. And at first, I liked it because I enjoy preaching and teaching. But at first, I felt really uncomfortable and, and still to an extent feel uncomfortable saying I've got the gift of teaching. I feel that because I feel it comes off prideful. I feel it's like, man, I'm a good teacher. I mean, I, so I feel, I'm afraid that if I say I got the gift of teaching, it comes off, comes off prideful. And, and honestly, I, I, I really was struggling with it and thought, man, I, I, I should not. I don't have the gift of teaching. I don't. And so I was like trying to convince myself, I don't have this gift. I don't have it. Because I worried what was coming up was that there was pride. And I, was, I remember really wrestling with this because I, I thought I'm just being prideful. You're just being prideful. And I remember God bringing me to this passage and just kind of knocking me down with it and saying, you know what? If I give you the gift of teaching, one, you need to use it. Secondly, it doesn't have a hill of beans to do with you whatsoever. It's not about you. It's not for you to be prideful in. You're going to be prideful in something that I gave you that had nothing to do with you? If I gave it to you, it's because I want you to use it in my church to draw glory to me, not to yourself. 
And so if you are prideful about it, repent. Otherwise, use the gift that I've given you for my glory. And I remember just kind of a, a, just a, a sobering reality settling over me and saying, you know what? God has gifted us all. And we each have different gifts. And employing those gifts and using those gifts is not prideful. It can be. We can be prideful in it. But we, if we set our eyes on Jesus, the way Paul helps us to in these 11 verses, he's constantly just pulling our eyes off the gifts. They've asked about gifts. I'm going to tell you about gifts, but I'm not going to talk to you about gifts if you don't keep your eyes on Jesus. If you don't keep your eyes on the fact that the Spirit has done this to draw attention to Jesus. If you don't keep your eyes on that, I'm not going to talk to you about it because that's what's ultimately important. That's what they're all about. The Spirit has given them to you to build up the body, that the body might represent Jesus. All the gifts, everything is about bringing glory to Him. And if we keep our eyes focused on that that is how we battle pride that is how we battle envy that's how we battle feeling woe is me that's how we battle feeling selfishness that's how we battle all of that because we understand i've been redeemed by a great and glorious savior and instead of just sticking me on the shelf he's gifted me and whatever he's gifted me in he looked at me and said i am giving you this because i want you to exercise this at remedy church And that body is incomplete without you. And you are incomplete without them. And you need each other. So go. Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is part of the walking in the good works that Christ has laid out before us. So when you think about gifts, don't get tied down in the things that might be sensational and want to get into the mysterious stuff. Let it center you back on Jesus. Let it deepen your commitment to his church. Let it deepen your commitment to the gospel and let it drive you forward. So how do we respond to this doctrine? Well, first thing I would say is this. Seek how God has gifted you. Because I, I guarantee that, that there's some of you out there, you're like, I know how I'm gifted. I see how I'm gifted. It's been, um, people have, have, have encouraged me in it. I see it. I know how I should be serving. I know what I should be doing. So I'm doing that and I'm pressing into that. And some of you are probably sitting out there going like, dude, that's cool. I hear what you're saying, but I have no clue what my spiritual gift is. No idea. And I want to do something about it, but I don't know where to start. Well, here's how I would say, um, first off, is I would go to the places where the spiritual gifts are, are discussed and listed. So 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, 11. Go to those places. Look at the list. Let them give you an idea. Let them start ringing in and prayerfully read those. Ask God, God, is there a category in here? Is there a, a specific in here? Is there something this is going to help me think about how you've wired me, how you've gifted me, how you've brought me to this church? The other thing is ask others who know you. Ask people in your community group. Say, look, I'm trying to discover how God's gifted me. So what do you see in me that you think God wants to use in our church? Where is it that you feel like the Holy Spirit has so wired me that this would be beneficial for our church, that this would uplift the body, that this would be a part of what's going on? Ask people, what do they see in your life? What do they see God doing in your life? How do they see God has wired you for serving and loving and uplifting the body 
There's a guy um, who is involved in our campus ministry. He doesn't go to this church. He goes to another church, and he uses his gifts there, but he also uses them in our campus ministry. This guy is gifted with a spiritual gift of serving others. And I sat there, and I've watched him do it before. He's not flashy. He does not want to be in the spotlight. He withdraws when there's a group of people a lot of times, very introverted. But I've sat and watched this guy multiple times look for things to do to make it easier for other people. And I've watched this guy clean up trash while everybody else was just hanging out. I've watched this guy just set up stuff when nobody else was even thinking about doing it. And he doesn't do it for the glamour. In fact, if, I, if he knew I was talking about him, he would probably never come back to the ministry again. He just he doesn't want, he doesn't want to be recognized. He doesn't do it because he thinks it would make him great or makes him a servant or everybody would look at him. You just watch and I see that, I see that. And I can't wait till I see him again because I want to encourage that in him. I want to say, God has gifted you in this. Keep doing it. Keep going. Serve the body. Allow yourself to be served. So those who are around you, those who see you, those in your community group, your pastors, people who are in your sphere, who are watching you, who see who you are, ask them. If you don't know where you're gifted, ask them. Ask them where they see God working in your life. And then, if you're still not sure, find somewhere where help is needed and just jump in and start serving. What you may find is the very act of doing something brings to the surface where you're gifted. You may not even realize that it's there. Couple of things about serving, caveats, bullet points, cautions, whatever I want to say. First off is understand that passion or interest does not always equal a spiritual gifts. Okay? I uh, I like watching Tim play the drums. It's it's really cool. Like I was watching him on uh I'm gonna sing Our God later, and I was watching him play it and I was like, dude, that's so cool. And I've I've tried to play the drums before and I'm horrible. Horrible. I really like I could listen to like like just people just play drum solos. I just think it's so cool. I really like it. I would like to hear more drums. I mean, I just they're just awesome. I am not gifted. You're not going to see me back there playing on a Sunday morning. If you do, please call, pull me off the stage. I'm not gifted in that, okay? Even though I like it, even though I love it, I like to hear it, I like to hear it. I think it'd be cool to learn how to play. I'm not gifted in that. So just because you may be excited about something, it doesn't mean that you're gifted there. It, a lot of times, passion does drive us to our gifts. You know, like I enjoy preaching. I really, really do. And, and I become passionate about it. And I, I think that's part of it. But, but be careful. Don't always think passion equals gifts, although a lot of times it is there. Um, I was going to ask Stephen this. Um, how many people who are on the setup team have the spiritual gift of stacking chairs? You know, I, I personally have the spiritual gift of making coffee. I'm not exercising that here. Stephen does a good job of that. But, but you see what I'm saying? Because here's the second caveat. Sometimes what's needed is not a spiritual gift, but simply sacrifice. Sometimes there's, there's a need within the body, and we want to, well, you know, I don't know that I'm gifted in that. Well, sometimes what that means is we just need to, we need to make that sacrifice. Maybe we have the chance to do it. Maybe we need to do it. Um, some things are just, hey, I want to exercise a gift of service. I like helping other people. I like being a part of it. And so what does that look like? Well, just jumping in where something's needed. 
And I think that happens both corporately and in our community groups. So, you know, we, we don't have a building. We don't have multiple things corporately going on Sunday morning, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, this, that, and the other. So there's not a plethora of things corporately where you can get involved. But is there gifts that you have where you can help or sacrifices you can make to help serve the body? You know, people get here really early. These chairs don't look like this. You know, the signs aren't out all the time. There's not always kid stuff set up downstairs. The, the, the sound has to be put together. There's all these different things that go on a Sunday morning. It, could you help in that? Could that be an, a chance for you to give what gifts you have? And maybe it's, not, maybe it's not in the way you think. Well, I can't do this. Well, are you a good organizer? If so, maybe you could help organize the teams. Maybe you could be a conduit of communication. Maybe you could utilize the city to keep up with all kinds of teams, help make sure they're here on time. Maybe you're not even going to be here on Sunday morning, but you're like, you know, I'm really good at that. I have a spiritual gift of writing emails. And so I can do that. I can help with that. Wherever it is you're gifted, I say some of that tongue-in-cheek, but on a serious note, don't just say, well, I can't get here early on Sunday mornings to help out with that, or I can't do this. Maybe you would say, I know this ministry needs help. I don't know what I can do. Remember a church that I was at before I came here? We had a lady who um, had been trained as an accountant, and this woman loved numbers. She just did. She was retired, and she came up to us one day, and she said, hey, look, I'm good at this. And I don't think it's just so that I could have a job and retire. I feel like God's given me this. And I, I, I want to use it to serve the church. I'm, I'm gifted in this. I think God wants me to serve the church. Do you know that when she did that, we had just had to um, let go of the lady who kept our books? We, we had nobody to do the financial accounting for the church. And she stepped up and she said, you know what? I'm good at this. I'm gifted at this. Can I serve the church in this manner? And she began doing all of our bookkeeping for us right there. God provided the gifts needed for the church at the right time so the church might function. So don't just think, well, I can't be on stage or I can't play an instrument or I can't do this. Where can you plug in? Secondly, really, we've already said it, but I'll just say it again. Use your gifts. You're needed to serve and you're needed to be served. Not just corporately, but also in community groups. How can you serve the people in your community group? How can you care for those who are around you? How can you build them up? Service isn't just on Sunday morning. And hear this, this is not, this is not simply, okay, you got gifts, so get out there and start doing them. You're a bunch of lazy people. Please don't hear me saying that. Please don't hear me saying that. Fudd and I were talking the other day. Our church, man, we love the volume of people who are involved and who are serving in our church. We've been parts of churches where 10% of the people do 90% of the work, and that's just not true here. So this is not a beating over the head. This was not a sermon that was picked because people aren't doing something. So we'll use spiritual gifts as an end around to get there to start pushing and beating people into service. That's not what this is. We love you. And if the Spirit has gifted you and said, I've given you this for the church, we need you. And you need the church. So don't ignore it. You're robbing yourself of joy. You're robbing yourself of the Spirit working in and through and around you. So take your gifts. Love what the Spirit has done and use them for the glory of Jesus. The last thing is this. You might be here this morning and this is just kind of strange to you because you've been 
you're not a follower of Jesus, you, you're not from a church background, so this whole gifts thing sounds weird to you. I hope you've heard over and over and over again, the point of all of this is to draw people to Jesus. God, by his grace and mercy, is calling out that we have run away from him. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And as God gifts us, as the Spirit gifts our bodies, and it gifts this body, part of what he wants to do is draw people to himself. So maybe this morning the message for you is there is life abundant waiting on you. There is life abundant presented for you in Christ, in the gospel. You have run away from God, but he has come for you. And he wants you to experience the fullness of being immersed and filled with his spirit. He doesn't want to just save you for heaven. He wants to save you now so that right now you can know and love and experience Jesus. So maybe this morning... The gift you need is the gift of Christ. Redeeming you, drawing you near to God and granting you grace and salvation. If that's you and somebody invited you and you came with them and you need to talk, I encourage you, tell them, hey, I need to know more about this Jesus stuff. Or maybe you want to talk to me or you want to talk to Fudd. We'll be in the back during our singing time. Where has God gifted you? Where is God calling you? Don't be disobedient. Do what he's asked you to do. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning and your word and the glory of Jesus and for the wonder that you invite us in and make us the body of Christ and then you provide for us what we need to be the body of Christ. God, I pray that we would never push that to the side. We'd never look at that and think it's some kind of issue that we don't, it's kind of fun to talk about. But God, may it drive us deep. May it open our commitment. May it push us closer to Christ and to each other. And God, I pray that this would be a place not only where people would know how they're gifted, but they would see how to employ it. And I pray, Father God, you would glorify yourself in us and through us and that we would be known as a people who love Jesus above all else. Thank you, Father, for who you are and what you've done. We ask this in Christ's name.